Hi, thanks for tuning in to Just 1A with Aaron Frischberg. I'm talking to Jason Ginsberg, um, the CTO and co-founder of uh, Skiff. How's it going, Jason? It's going well. Awesome. How are you? Pretty good. So just to kind of start it off, I was curious if you had any like weird food combinations that you've really enjoyed. <laughs> okay, I got one. I like sure. pickles dipped in soy sauce. Which, really? You know, <laughs> uh, there are some restaurants in San Francisco where they have something similar to that. It just tastes very salty, and I'm a big fan of salt. All right. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> wow. Um, and then to kind of shift over, I was curious if you had like a 45-minute like elevator pitch, just a quick spiel about Skiff and what you guys are doing over there. Yeah. So at Skiff, we are building a privacy-first platform for collaboration, like a work suite product. So if you think about something like Google Suite where you have mail, Pages, Drive, you know, all sorts of collaboration. We have built that in Skiff. Um, we have Calendar, Mail, Drive, and Pages, uh, but it's all end-to-end -end encrypted, which basically means your data is never shared with us as a technology provider. It is the most secure and private way for you to um, basically work with other people. Yeah, and many are saying that you're basically taking on Google, like competing for this sweet opportunity. Yeah, I think the world has changed pretty dramatically in the last two years, especially around issues of privacy, um, where you know the incumbent platforms like Google or Microsoft really weren't built or designed to give people ownership of their data. And there's just so much cool stuff you can do when you truly have your data belong to you. And it is just, again, like the most secure design and model, and um, that has to be built into the product from day one. So it really is on... Uh, startups like Skiff to, to build these types of platforms. I was also curious, like in founding Skiff, what do you feel was the greatest decision early on that really like paid off in the future? Do you feel it was kind of incorporating that like privacy core value? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about. I think honestly, the greatest decisions come around people who you bring onto the team and who actually builds the product is the accumulation of millions of smaller decisions. And so those those are the most important ones in the early days because oftentimes you just don't have the uh, full insight of what's going to happen over the next couple of years. And so it's more about your ability to react to those changes. Um, but on a technical level, we were always really committed to building our platform to be end-to-end -end encrypted. And like I mentioned before, that's super, super hard. You can't just upgrade to that or incorporate it once you've built out the fundamental architecture of a product or platform. Uh, and so that investment had to be made upfront. Sure, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then I was also curious, I was looking around on the internet and I saw that you have a bunch of like designs and artwork, Yeah. Um, like the shoes that you designed. <laughs> I, was wearing, I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I am a designer and engineer. I've been doing design since I was a young kid. I actually really see those two disciplines as um, not distinct. I think, you know, in today, like building Skiff as a product, it's the entire end to end experience that matters. And being able to understand how to make design easier because you can engineer it, and being able to understand where we can like ease certain constraints on the flip side is super critical for our success. And so at Skiff, even like security engineers care about um, you know user experience because none of it cryptography matters if you can't set up a password that is good or memorable. Um, and for me, like the shoe thing was, I really in high school wanted to build um, something that wasn't just on my computer. I wanted to deal with like physical like goods because I thought it would be a lot more challenging. And I learned a lot about like 
factories and manufacturing processes, negotiating. Like there was literally like a factory fire at one point <laughs> that delayed a shipment. Um, this supplier, I was making my hats in the US because I, I did shoes and hats. They ended up like dropping me because uh, the Make America Great Again hats ended up becoming their number one uh, customer. And so I had to quickly find someone else to work with. Um, yeah, there's a lot of you know fun stuff around that. And that's, it's really interesting you say like merging engineering and design is becoming like important. Like back in the day, I guess, uh, Steve Jobs incorporated like his passion for topography into Apple. Yeah. Do you feel that that's becoming like a really, really prevalent thing? Like not just like in the past we've had people like specialize in engineering and then kind of have a design department, but do you feel like that's kind of becoming connected nowadays? Yeah. I think there's a new class of you know, specialists or something, whatever the term is, that refer to themselves as design engineers. I don't know if that, that phrase will stick forever, but, you know, you look at products like Figma and you look at no-code platforms like Framer, um, you see the improvements in just, like, you know, development, like React and being able to build things really quickly. What's ended up happening is the bar to entry to be able to design things and then reproduce them in code faithfully has gotten a lot lower and it allows that integration to be a lot more seamless. And so um, for me, it's just like, there's a lot less communication overhead when you can keep both of those things in your brain and you focus on just like building the best version of that product. Because the hardest part with a lot of the things when it comes to quality and a user experience are these micro details that you don't always capture in like the mock-up. And it's like, oh, if I am building a new import flow and there's this weird error case that comes up and like, they have a really long file name. Like, you just don't anticipate those things. You want to be able to be um, on the fly, like, capable of reasoning about how to solve those problems and getting them down to the last pixel. Yeah, sure. And I was also curious, like, what platform you guys are using to create Skiff? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've built everything ourselves. We've open sourced uh, most of the product. Um, we use React, um, basically, with TypeScript on the front end. Back end, Node.js, um, Postgres database. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of bas basically different libraries and tools that we use. And then on the design side, we're using Figma for everything. Awesome, yeah. And I actually, I took a like quick peek at your website, and I did feel like it was really, really like well-designed, which was really impressive, yeah. And I, I could Thank really you. see like the design engineering coming in play. Yeah. I appreciate it. We actually are completely redoing our website uh, this week and hopefully uh, it will be a lot cooler. Um, I, there's just okay. so much stuff that uh, we wanted to update for a while now. Sure. Looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then I also saw that you published research at Stanford about something about displays and um, holograms. Yes. So this is like my obsessive sort of uh, pursuit in college. Um, yeah, again, like I kind of mentioned with the shoe thing, I was like really interested in like, you know, so much like I, I spent a lot of time learning about design and engineering on my laptop because it's convenient and I just need to have a laptop on a school bus in my bedroom and I could get better. But I really became interested in like physical experiences and bridging that gap between you know, the digital and physical world. And um, I spent a lot of time at Stanford working on something called the light field display, um, which it's kind of like a discrete sort of hologram. You can think of it that way, um, 
where you're able to create 3D images and video without someone having to wear glasses. Um, and it's especially important technology for virtual reality. Um, and so I spent some time um, you know, working on Apple on the new product team and, and really um, part of the motivation for Skiff was basically I had spent years in, in the VR world and I started to realize like, man, our lives in the next 10 years, if you think we spend a lot of it online today, it's going to be so much worse. <laughs> and um, you lose something. You know, you, you don't get everything in the offline world on the digital world. Something is lost and, and stuff we take for granted. Uh, and just looking at the trends of privacy, like you look at Signal or Brave or DuckDuckGo, those companies growing so much at the same time, um, I really became interested in building technologies that allow people to, you know, really have full ownership of their data so that they can protect those sort of values and not lose anything um, as, as more and more is, is digitized. Yeah. I, I was also curious what you meant by, like, stuff becoming more digitized. Or, like, yeah. life just becoming more online. Like, you know, we spend a lot of time on our computers today, <laughs> and especially, like, on social media. But if you think about it, like, majority of the internet, your experience is it's, it's flat. You're, looking, you're reading text and you're looking at images and video. That's it. And a lot of it is also based on like, you know, how the internet was built in like the 1970s and the sort of expectations and like these military use cases for computers or like word processing. Um, imagine an internet where it's fully immersive and like 3D and it feels more like life. And you're not just going on the internet to read content and consume it, but the sort of interactions that are invisible in your everyday, kind of sitting around, doing nothing, talking to someone casually, like those experiences will be online. And every single word and action that you speak will be recorded and processed and analyzed and uh, you know, retransmitted to other people. That changes the whole game because you know, it's like having a recording device on in every single room and everywhere you go, um, which I don't think is necessarily the intention of these technologies, but as we've seen, like it's hard to predict how these things will be leveraged and used. And if the technology is there and it can, you know, be part of the business model, you know, you don't have much protecting you, uh, in the way of privacy. Sure. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And do you feel that the internet in the future is going to like kind of shift more towards VR because of me what personally? Yeah. I think by like 2030, um, instead of people using phones and laptops, people will be using VR and AR headsets. Um, maybe not everyone, but Interesting. predominantly. To be honest, I could see AR, but I feel like society won't be that like open to adapting like full VR. Yeah, I think opinion. like the the there's a blurry line between the two. I think AR, the reason it'll take longer is that the technology is a lot harder because um, the optics of you're projecting stuff into the real world and you've got like to compete with the sun and <laughs> like there's a lot you know just like in terms of brightness of the display or occlusions or opacity or depth like you have to get it perfect because if you add a little bit of a blur to to make something look like it's further away let's say it has to match how you would see it in the real world next to an actual object so that stuff might take longer actually and so i think vr in the interim will become more popular um because it'll be a higher fidelity experience and I don't think it necessarily um, means people, I, I don't think people walk around the streets wearing their VR headsets. But I think you see like with yeah. Quest and Facebook, like you have these pass-through pass displays where you can actually have a video stream and like see the outside world in your VR headset. So you can get the AR experience with a lot of the fidelity of VR. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. 
And then I was also curious, like with the recent uh, release of ChatGPT, how you felt that would affect the future. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, someone actually brought this up in a team discussion like a couple minutes ago at Skiff. Um, I think it's really interesting for productivity. I think it's really interesting to see, I don't know, just think about school. <laughs> like, um, you know, in the same way, like Google changed the game, I'm sure, about like how you create assignments. Um, Chat GPT, I think, absolutely changes the game for how people approach creative topics. I personally use Chat GPT frequent, like pretty frequently in the past few months to spearhead like ideas and to sort of get the ball rolling on things and then to take it from there. Um, the other thing that I've seen is really cool is like automation. So, um, you know, I have a friend, Josh Browder, he has a company called Do Not Pay. Um, they are using ChatGPT and like they're, they're like a robot lawyer. And like one of the things they offer is like they will handle like customer support calls with like Comcast, which are the worst. And it's so crazy. I think he like connected ChatGPT to like WaveNet using his voice. And it sounds literally like him. Um, he will, the, the service will call up Comcast and it will literally wait for them to ask a question and then create a response and it got him like $50 back on his bill and he did nothing. And the person on the other call wow. literally thought they were talking to a human being, um, which is just really, really awesome to see. Yeah, really. And I also think it's interesting to see, like it's been said in the past that like the development of one technology like AR or VR could, or most like, it would probably come into play with ChatGPT getting more advanced, and then I believe AR and VR becoming more advanced. And so it's interesting to see how these could kind of like come together um, and kind of like develop together. Yeah, I mean, similar, maybe a similar analogy is like, you look at like electric vehicles and like Tesla, right? Like those vehicles are running on electricity that um, could be coal generated. So it's not necessarily more green, but the idea is now you have um, a distribution network that if we were to make, you know, more renewable energy, like, generation that it could it could be leveraged and i feel the same thing with vr and ar and these like chat gpt things is like we are it will create a distribution channel where you can get the full benefits of these things in a way that doesn't exist today so like one example it's not chat gpt but like ai related is like with auto translation like yeah google translate today allows you to like hold your phone to someone and like you know it will auto translate things but in vr imagine like if you're doing like a conference like a zoom call type thing um, in VR, you could have it auto-translate into like every language on the planet and then distribute that to your audience members. And so, you know, think about the ways that that changes business and how people learn things. Um, you know, if like real-time uh, meetings could be done all over the world remotely and everyone is speaking a different language um, and hearing it in their native language. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really interesting to think about. And then I was curious just to kind of wrap it up. Um, what do you feel like, what advice would you give to a, an entrepreneur starting any project or something similar to Skiff? Yeah. I mean, I feel hesitant to give advice cause I haven't, I haven't, uh, accomplished all the things I've set out to do yet. Right. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> when Skiff has, uh, reached all of our goals, um, then I can give advice. I, I would say I can give perspective. My perspective is starting a young company is really hard work. Like if it were easy. There's a lot of smart people, I, like especially in the Bay Area, you meet a ton of people that are very smart. If like, you know, being smart isn't enough. Like you have to work extremely, extremely hard, harder than you think imaginable and treat it like an Olympic athlete, you know, preparing to like win the world record or gold, right? Um, and so, you know, that comes with also the ability to, you know, physically, mentally, like all of those things, be prepared to do that for years. Um, that's the hardest part. 
everything else, like you, if you have that down, you should be able to to handle. And um, you know, it depends on the company whether that's um, stuff related to the product or marketing or just bugs or figuring out like the business model. Um, you know, it it really comes down to your ability to to react to those challenges as they come up. Yeah. Well, all right. Thank you, Jason. It was really yeah. nice talking to you, and I really liked your insight on a lot of stuff. Yeah, thanks so much for reaching out. I really enjoyed the conversation. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great day. You too. Take care.